haven't uh, opened Isaiah uh, together in a couple weeks. So we're in the middle of a section of Isaiah that had started back in chapter 7 um, that focuses on the issue of trust. Um, would the kingdom of Judah trust for deliverance from the kingdoms of man or from the sovereign God of the universe? And back in chapter 7, Isaiah had introduced us to a historical situation in which King Ahaz was faced with the threat of invasion by the combined forces of the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria had allied themselves to lay siege to Jerusalem and to install their puppet king over the kingdom of Judah. So in that chapter, uh, Isaiah had given Ahaz counsel to, uh, to trust in God for deliverance, but instead we saw how Ahaz turned to the Assyrian kingdom asking them to come and deliver him from uh, the kingdom of Israel and Syria. Um, and that set the stage for what happened through the subsequent chapters when we've been looking at both the historical and theological results of that decision of King Ahaz. The Assyrians would indeed in, uh, destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, but then they would turn and attack Jerusalem as well. And the stage is set rolling for that final destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. Um, so Isaiah has been giving uh, heavy doses of judgment on both the uh, northern and southern kingdoms of the people of God. Uh, two weeks ago, we examined chapter 10, which put its focus on the Assyrians. Um, that chapter made it clear that this mighty kingdom of Assyria was but a rod in the hands of the sovereign God who wielded it uh, and who was using the Assyrians specifically to punish Judah. At the same time, uh, God says in chapter 10 that he would rightfully punish the Assyrians for how they uh, unleashed all this horror upon Judah. So um, we saw in chapter 10 both continued prophecies of judgment coming for the people of Judah, but their oppressors would be judged as well. And God uh, promises uh, hope in the midst of that uh, judgment from the Assyrians. So while Isaiah stated that both Assyria and Judah would be destroyed, to Judah he extends this uh, additional message of hope for God's chosen ridment. They would not escape the coming punishment. No, as we saw in chapter 10, uh, says, destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. No, the promise isn't uh, escape from the coming uh, Assyrian judgment. The, the hope and the promise is for God's sustaining hand to uphold them amidst their suffering and that indeed a remnant would be preserved and would return. And today's passage in chapter 11 continues that message of hope. And Isaiah here returns to a theme of this coming ruler. We are introduced in chapter 7 to Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 9, Isaiah told us that this child king would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so today in chapter 11, Isaiah returns again and depicts this promised ruler who will bring lasting peace, describing him in two poems in chapter 11. The first deals with the coming king, describing the nature of his rule and the paradise-like results of his reign, while the second poem focuses on the worldwide people gathered under the Lord's banner. So with that uh, as a bit of context, uh, let's turn our attention to God's word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 11. I'll read uh, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through the uh, end of the chapter in verse 16. Hear now God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not ha harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, 
and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Thus far, God's word, let's pray and ask him to open it in our hearts and minds as we study it this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we lift up our praises to you this morning. We thank you for the mighty way that you have sustained us, the mighty way that you have shown to be the God who keeps covenant, even with people who so often uh, break that covenant. Though we are faithless, you, Lord God, are faithful. And we thank you for this passage in which you show your faithfulness to your people of Judah and through them your faithfulness to all your chosen people from every tribe and every nation on earth, even your faithfulness to us. Lord God, we ask for your spirit this morning that we might have a spirit of understanding, that we might have that spirit that we see here of fear of the Lord, that reverence that brings uh, trust in you, that we would listen to your word and that our wills and our consciences would be pricked to obey it, that we would be part of this glorious kingdom that you speak of here, and that we would participate with our great king as he extends his banner over all the earth. Be with us now. Teach us. Give us humble hearts to receive your word that we might put it in practice through the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so in, these, uh, in chapter 11, uh, we have these two poems, and right in verse 1 and then in the middle, uh, in chapter, or verse 10, we have this mention of Jesse. So in verse 1, Isaiah describes the coming forth of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And then in verse 10, he depicts the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. So why mention Jesse? And not only just why mention him, why mention him twice? And then, uh, so, so two questions I have. So one, why mention Jesse? And then the second, how can this person be both shoot, springing up, as well as root? <laughs> so how can he be both the root of Jesse, uh, something that produces Jesse, as we sort of think, uh, roots, but also the shoot springing forth from Jesse. So why Jesse? And then how can he be both root and shoot? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Isaiah's giving us these, um, 
these clues that he's not just talking about another earthly king. He's not talking about Hezekiah, who's going to come after Ahaz, and he's going to be a much better king than Ahaz was. And people are going to sort of think, oh, maybe this is... But he's making it clear that this will be both from the lineage of Jesse, like David was, but also something more than that, um, something uh, that Jesse himself is the product of. Um, it's, it's like that psalm where it says, uh, you know, it says of Jesus that he's both David's son, but he's also the or originator of David. It's a very similar kind of image. Yeah, James. Yeah. In some Yeah, there's absolutely all this Edenic language in this passage, this paradise. Um, and, I mean, we used to have, we, we, this side, I don't, should I go here? All right, I'll go here. We used to have debates in, uh, in seminary, you know, as seminarians do, you know, did lions eat meat in the garden? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there was a, one professor who was really adamant. He's like, I couldn't have steak in the Garden of Eden? Come on. <laughs> um, and we always use this passage to kind of help us make the case that, well, no, there, there was no death. <laughs> um, but, um, but that's sidetracked. Um, but to go back to this point that uh, it's taking, it's both a reference, reference back to something that was, and it's going to be this perfect restoration of it. Um, and this one is going to last eternally. Um, so yeah, so I think second Adam, I think is a great uh, way to think about it. Uh, Jonathan. Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got both the word of God in here. You know, notice how he speaks. You know, he, he, he kills by word. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that there is the Jesus as the word is being referred to here uh, and Jesus as being the beginning of all things. To go back to, to, to James's, you know, he's both the uh, creator, you know, as John, in the beginning was the word and in the beginning... All things were through the word, came from the word. He was the producer of all things, and yet he's also the fulfillment of all things. So Alpha and Omega, okay, you sold me. <laughs> Other? So why Jesse, though? So to go back to, yes, we know Jesse's David's father, and Jesse shows up in David's lineage, but why not just say David? Yeah, and it's this contrast. You know, here we've got, I mean, kind of think of it. We've got this royal lineage of David, 
that, um, that it is, has become rotten and is going to get cut down. <laughs> you know, we've already been described, we've had this description of being cut down to the stump, and yet there's, there's going to be a shoot springing up. Remember back, we, we saw that verse. Um, but it's almost as if he wants to, to remove all the baggage that son of David connotes at this moment in time. You know, son of David, that's another king like Ahaz or another king, you know, in this line of rulers that, you know, fall short of what they're called to be. So it's, it is this kind of, we got to go back to the source. Um, and it's the way God can both fulfill the promise that there w- it will be a son of David. So, it, you know, we're not jettisoning the promises made to David, the covenant with David. No, it is going to be uh, his heir. But it's almost like we have to go back to that peasant shepherd's family to, to pull out a new king. We have to go back to humble origins, might be, I think was one way to think of it. We don't, we're not going to the ruling royal house, in a sense. We're going to uh, you, back to humility. And that's what's going to be, you know, the source blood of this kingdom. Yeah, Bill. I think the uh, analogy here, where it's from the uh, branch from the root, uh, if you plant a seed, you don't get any growth unless that seed dies. And so the stump is dying. But from the root, something's coming up. And I think it's also interesting that Obed, I think, was the father of Jesse, and he's also the daughter of Ruth. Yeah. And so that's really an American in itself how that took place. So he's going back to line the beginning of David. Yeah, and it's this theme that's picked up over and over again that it looks like the line is going to be cut off. You know, uh, I mean, think of all the the um, all the barren women that show up in the Pentateuch. It looks like the promise made to Abraham is going to be null and void because Sarah doesn't have children. You know, it looks like, you know, the promises uh, to Abraham's son Isaac are going to be null and void. It seems like the promises um, to to Jacob are going to come back empty over and over again. Um, You know, it seems like um, that, uh, that this line is going to be cut off when, um, when Ruth's husband dies, you know, without children and, you know, where, where's those offspring going to come from? Um, but you're right. It's sort of every time it seems like from a human perspective, the promises are going to come to naught, um, that there is this, uh, yeah, God finds a way, God creates a way to be faithful to his promises and create, um, you know, sustain those promises through this creation. Um, All right, well, let's talk some about the qualities of this shoot of Jesse. Um, And uh, we've already had hints that, all right, this is, there's, some indications here that this might be more than just a person. <laughs> but um, so what qualities does this shoot of Jesse possess? And what indicates, in the, what else uh, indicates in this passage that this person represents 
more than just another king of Judah. Yeah, James. Yeah, he's going beyond just the mere appearances. You know, it's the way that he's modeling the trust that Isaiah's been trying to bring out of the people all along. He, and I, I like the, the I, idea of it's kind of like that super political level that, you know, uh, Ahaz is kind of judging on appearance and trying to figure things out based on the political board as he sees it. Um, but I think it also hits the, the lowest levels as well that, you know, and we can see that same political calculation of a judge in a courtroom, you know, and you've got one wealthy uh, litigant and then you've got this poor person, hmm, which one, whose friendship, you know, do I cultivate? You know, well, you know, I help this guy out. You know, this person, the poor, they're powerless. So I think the power game that's going on, on both the high level and on this kind of er everyday level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my worldly circumstances at the moment um, uh, seem to, to imply that, yeah, God's not at work here. I, th I think I was thinking um, um, in, in this lines, uh, so um, one of the things I talk about in my book about people crossing the ocean is that when the, if you've ever been sailing, if the wind is right behind you and blowing your ship straight that way, it feels like you're going nowhere because there is no sensation. <laughs> so you just, and it's hot <laughs> and you're just like, but really you're cooking along. <laughs> and it's the way our senses deceive us. Um, you know, and if we just look on, you know, we've got to find other, other ways to measure. Um, we've got to look beyond just what our eyes are telling us or you know our ears or you know in this case you don't feel the wind cutting you know because you're going with the wind um, so uh, yeah it's the way our sensory knowledge um, always or not always but can betray us um, that uh, yeah good yeah yeah which goes back to the garden yeah that you know she looked at it you know, it was pleasing to the eyes. It looked good for, to, to, 
good for gaining knowledge, and so she ate it. Yeah. So, um, so here, as we think about this person, this is a person who's not going to judge based on those externals, who is going to hold to the promises of God, um, and also, I think there's also an indication that, um, you know, this is a person who's going to judge, who's going to look to the heart, um, you know. He's not going to look on the externals. He's going to get to the inside of people. Good. What else? Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, and he has, it's not, uh, not acting out of a sense of gain, yeah, that he ha has ownership. Um, he doesn't have uh, need to curry favor. Um, yeah, I like that image. Good. Other things we'll say about uh, the, our shoot of Jesse, how he's different from other worldly kings. Um, so he doesn't judge based on appearances. He doesn't, um, or he judges with equity. Uh, he does, he's not reliant on uh, some kind of outside dependence or approval. There are some other things uh, in here. Yeah, Jane. Yeah, and look at all those uh, qualities of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, and as we think about um, the way uh, the Old Testament uses the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord uh, it usually refers to how God endows chosen people um, for special tasks and how some people are especially equipped by this filling of the Spirit. Um, Moses, Joshua, David are all sort of talked about in this term. Um, and it's this idea that the unaided human spirit was incapable of saving itself, but must be endued with the divine spirit for the task of deliverance. Thus to say that God's spirit was upon someone signified that the person was acting out of a capacity which was more than merely human. Um, and this phrase can also be applied to, uh, uh, especially to the capacity for acting ethically, for living a holy life. You have to have that, that filling of the spirit in order to live that way. Yeah. Tim, you had your hand. Yeah. Yeah.
yeah, he has this permanent endowment with the Spirit. And it's, it's almost as if the, uh, you know, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Yeah, it's that idea. It's not just sort of coming and going, but it's, it's permanently residing uh, within him. It's almost as if the Spirit you know, is, is part of his possession. Um, it's something that he has to a degree that uh, no one else does. Good. What else? Yes. Yes. Yeah, this would be one of those passages, and um, I think the typical way is to build off um, that this is an explanation of that remnant that we see in, in chapter 10, the remnant shall return, and then we have that remnant again spoken of. But, um, but the problem with it, it's, uh, I think that interpretation, is that there's a clear distinction in this passage, or the problem for me, is there's a clear distinction in this passage between this person and the remnant. You know, that the remnant is coming to flock to this person. So it, it seems to personalize outside of the remnant, you know, uh, this Messiah. So it's the hope lies outside of the remnant, um, and, the, and it's embodied in this coming child, this coming ruler. Yeah, that... And they're coming to him. So I, you're right that, that often, again, and it's typically um, in, in Jewish interpretation that sort of tries to corporatize, um, I'm making up words, um, <laughs> to, to treat this as a corporate person rather than being an individual person. But I think you know, there's plenty of signals in the text that distinguishes between the remnant and this uh, this chosen one who is clearly establishing a rule um, beyond that of, of, of mere earthly kingdoms. Um, and again, uh, to sort of emphasize the power, um, the distinctive power, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the, the wicked. Um, I wrote myself a note. Let's see if I can actually read my handwriting. Uh, words kill. Um, I mean, that's to sort of, again, to, to go back to what James is, the appearance. So someone who uh, Ahaz is playing the political game and how can I marshal the most physical forces on the board? You know, how can I get the most chariots on my side? How can I get the most spearmen? How can I get the most uh, horses? And this is someone who's going to conquer, who's going to judge, who's going to kill just by speaking the word. I mean, um, again, a very striking image of power uh, and power that, that seems to be just beyond uh, normal human power.
Yeah, that he's able to discern what is right. And so he's able to dispense justice um, and perfect justice. And so the people who are, you know, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Um, it's this idea that it's the spirit in him, it's his outward clothing, and, and all of that enables him to pronounce right judgments. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, that again, it's this, um, you know, we had that back in, uh, at the end of, um, or at the beginning of chapter 10. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, and that they may be, make the fatherless their prey. So it's, uh, again, it's this king who is going to take the side of the poor, the lowly, the defenseless, that, again, it's in the character of this king to identify with those who have no worldly power, um, who are absolutely exposed to um, all the evils of the world because of, of, their, uh, of their situation. And that's, you know. Which is something that, uh, you know, we tend to be conservative in our thinking, but we often forget this passage in our natural nature. Yeah. My rights and holding myself up by my bootstraps kind of disguises. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Isaiah's been condemning the materialism of his age. And I think we, we absolutely should use it to condemn the materialism of our own. Um, and to think about, I mean, you know, I, I walk through the streets of Boston multiple times a week. And, and you know, my reaction to, I mean, what's my reaction to people who, yeah, you know, I'm passing judgment in a sense on these people all the time. Um, you know, and based totally on appearance, you know, whoa, man, that guy smells bad. Or, you know, clearly this person, um, you know, uh, is in, you know, poor state because of what they're wearing. Or, you know, hearing people talk, oh, that person clearly has some, some mental problems as I hear them kind of. And, you know, my first reaction is to, is to pass judgment in a sense, to whether they deserve my help or not, um, you know, whether I should distance myself from them for my personal safety or my personal comfort so I don't have to smell them anymore. Or, 
or, or am I going to be someone like this that um, does not distance themselves from the, uh, from the lowliest people in a society, the people that other people are repelled by? Yeah. Right, but um, in this case, uh, sort of the emphasis has been on kind of, yeah, the, the weakest of the poor, I guess, the people who can't defend themselves. Right, you're not going to get righteousness Yep. Under king. Ahaz. <laughs> or, yeah, name your, insert name of king here. <laughs> um, all right, good. Well, let's um, talk some about uh, Eden, um, that we're, or this picture we're given. Um, so how are we supposed to understand um, the images that he paints in verses 6 through 9? Uh, is this a complete remaking of the natural order of the world? Um, that, you know, cows and bears are, are going to be friends now. Um, or is this using the animal world as an illustration or as a figure to to show the complete refashioning of human kingdoms. So how do we understand it? Is this literally children playing with cobras, or is this um, that, you know, the, the weakest will, will have nothing to fear, the weakest of men will have nothing to fear from the strongest of men? Pardon? <laughs> Since I've been invited to your house for that, uh, I hope so too. <laughs> um, but yeah, the way that um, that uh, the spirit is is yeah takes um, and totally reworks uh, people. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he means both, because he both feeds. I mean, again, I, I don't want to veer off in the social gospel either, yeah, but... The strength is actually in, 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 in the, the continual use of the word of spirit, the spirit of the Lord 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's a spiritual reordering of the world. I mean, um, I, I don't think, you know, it's the result of a lion tamer, you know, kind of just physically remaking the circumstances of, of the lion that he no longer has to eat the calf. Um, it's very clear that this is an internal, uh, extraordinary transformation. Um, that this is, yeah, that, that something spiritual is going on here. This isn't just bringing peace by, uh, you know, removing the weapons of war and sort of enforcing. And notice, it's 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 peace that that's come coming not through conquest. You know, it's order uh, that's coming, um, you know, through this king, um, and it's coming through his his teachings in a sense. Yes, absolutely. Tim, you had your hand up. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Boston Zoo? No. (laughs) Um, Swiss Family Robinson, yeah. I love that island. I wanted to be there. Yeah, this um, peaceable kingdom. Um, there's a, oh, I'm blanking on the artist. He, he was actually a Quaker, but um, he's an American folk artist. If you go to the MFA in the folk art room <laughs> of the new American wing, uh, there's this Quaker artist who tried to paint the scene that we see here. So it, and the title of his painting is The Peaceable Kingdom. Um, and it's this peace that has come uh, or that is looked for uh, to coming with Christ's return. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, just like we saw with the, you know, the fall was a spiritual fall, but it had massive material consequences. Death is unleashed into the world. I mean, just think about, you know, how that um, (laughs) reshapes everything. I mean, you know, again, we can sort of look through one person's sin. The entire world was corrupted. And the picture is through one person's uh, righteousness, that the whole world is going to be restored. Um, and it is this undoing uh, of, of the fall. And it's this, this spiritual change that um, this kingdom will bring 
will work its way out through physical circumstances. Yeah, or again, what's our going to be our reaction? I mean, let, let's say, uh, you know, you're sitting next to, to Becky there. Uh, let's say there, there was a cobra thing over there and she starts wandering toward it. <laughs> oh, you're pushing her toward it? <laughs> um, you're using her as your shield? I gotcha. Um, uh, you know, our natural reaction would be to snatch you just have to run small <laughs> child. Yeah. James was uh, we were talking about there was a video this week because, you know, this week was the beginning of baseball season and there's a home run hit. And the, so there's a guy there um, with either his girlfriend, wife, date, whatever, and he ducks out of the way. <laughs> Smack. The ball hits her in the head. <laughs> the title of the video was Chivalry is Dead. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, you know, our... I mean, this is, it's a, uh, the appearance of this world is going to be totally unlike, um, you know, what we're, what we'd expect. And the child that we would normally be trying to snatch away from the cobra is going to, you know, be playing with it. Um, and again, to sort of think, I think a passage has both physical and um, symbolic because again, think about, you know, we're talking a lot about the garden and the fall and the curse. Remember the curse is that the serpent will strike your heel and you're going to crush its head. And now that is being undone. Yeah, the little child so lead him. And that, remember back when we looked at chapter nine, you know, we saw how in that chapter this rule is emphasized it's this child who will rule um, again it's that humility um, that this this leader has that you know that the earthly kings of Judah do not possess No. <laughs> uh, we, we have to be very careful. Yeah. The yeah, and the, the point, you know, the underlying point, whether you take it, this is going to really, you know, we're really going to have, you know, lions as pets, <laughs> and versus this is kind of, you know, symbolically representing, the point is the same, is that perfect peace and an, uh, an, an undoing of the fall is going to result from this king's rule. That the effects of the fall, 
that have led to enmity between man and man, between enmity between man and God, between enmity between man and the earth. Um, you know, all the effects of, of that, that fall of man are going to be undone by this, the rule of the second Adam. Absolutely. Um, uh, and as we think about, it's time for us to end, but um, as we think about this kingdom, also, you know, the second half, which we didn't get a chance to pay as much attention to, but to think about this remnant is both uh, a remnant that's clearly described, a remnant of Israel, but it also is this broader conception. It's people coming from everywhere. Um, it's this... Uh, it's the second exodus in a sense, but now the slavery people are coming out of isn't just that slavery they're gonna be suffering in Assyria or Babylonia. You know, they're coming from every place on earth and they're gonna be flocking under the banner of this king um, who's going to rule a kingdom that is, is totally different from the world that we know, a world that's um, marred by sin um, and so you know this is getting us to think about what a world without sin looks like um, and you know how that comes about Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I was reading it, um, so in verse 12, uh, if we take that he of verse 12 as the Lord, he will raise a signal for the nations. Um, that's the signal we see in verse 10. Yeah, so the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people. And so it's, it's the Lord accomplishing purposes through this person. Um, but there is a very close identification between the two. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it's the way, um, I mean, we can think about it, um, again, that kind of Trinitarian sense or the dealings within the Trinity. Jesus is accomplishing the will of the Father. Um, and, you know, they're distinct figures acting, uh, um, acting, unison in unison with their distinct wills but um as one substance um so i I'm, I'm getting too theological um so but i was reading i think you're right i think the 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 it switches to the subject but it's a subject that's deploying the 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 servant that we see deploying this root of jesse all right, well, let me close this in prayer. I'm sorry we didn't get 
through quite everything, but uh, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your spirit, um, for helping us to think through this passage, um, to think through um, how it has been variously interpreted and applied in the past, but to, um, to hold one another accountable to how we think about it, um, but most of all, to use it to get us to think about uh, the real change that Jesus Christ brings um, uh, in us, uh, that he takes us who were spiritually dead and makes us alive, and that uh, new life has physical effects, um, that that uh, internal change uh, is, leads to external changes as well. And as we think about uh, this kingdom that you've inaugurated, we see it taking root in our hearts, and we look forward to the day that that rule will be established uh, forever, that the, your perfect peace will come, uh, that sin will be no more, that the death uh, issued into humanity and onto the earth uh, in the fall of man in the garden will be undone, and that we will have uh, perfect peace and rest in Jesus Christ. Uh, give us um, the spirit that you've laid upon him. You've also, uh, that same Holy Spirit, you've promised to us. So we ask that you would equip us by your spirit, that we too might um, be emissaries for this king, and that we would uh, hold that banner of Christ high, that we might uh, draw others to it, that we would be uh, equipped to speak um, with discernment and understanding, laying bare our own and other people's sin, and do so that we might um, come to the only hope that we have for restoration and for perfect righteousness and justice. Uh, not from any human politics, but only from the Lord God uh, who reigns through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. second half of the chapter reminds me of uh, Romans 11 where God isn't through with Israel. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. Um, we're involved also, but it's just. Yeah, and the uh, sort of thing, uh, the second time it's interpreted here. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it refers to, but I think in here the second time too is referring to the second Exodus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I was going to maybe encourage you, um, since we didn't get to really cover that this time, 
Yeah. Maybe shoehorn that. Yeah, I'm going to shoehorn that into yeah, my because, summary of next time. Yeah, yeah, the second time, and then what he talks about is those those people, you know, so there, there it is. Yeah, yeah. It's As opposed to what we tend to jump to, what we recognize, you know, today is that final. So it's interesting to see if, and, and there can be parallels. It, it can be, yes, there's this bigger picture, but in the tactical sense, you know, here's this second exile. Yeah, and there's gonna be a real return, yeah. yeah. And I think we well, need to. Well, his chosen people, it's gonna be something done with you know, like a majority, I tend to yeah. think. It's just you have to be comfortable. We, we tend to either or this. Yeah.